going to be talking suspension with Mr. Joe Castello. So it is 11 a.m. here in California. Again, uh, thank you for being with us for Race Industry Week 2021. Joe, on to you. Thank you very much, Francisque and Judy. Appreciate what you guys are doing. It's Friday at Race Industry Week here on EPAR Trade. If you're watching around the world, remember, you can always ask questions in the chat section. We'll get to them and uh, take it in a direct direction, uh, maybe different from where I'm going. We'll definitely feed it to the guys. David and Jeremy, how are you guys doing? Hey, we're good. Welcome yeah, to okay. IBOC, where, uh, where it's springtime year-round, as Wilfred IBOC likes to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so wait, who's David and who's Jeremy, just so I know? I'm David. I'm Jeremy. I uh, gotcha. Thank you very much. And we're going to be talking about uh, spring loads, static, dynamic. You've got springs all over the place, which I love. Uh, we're going to delve into it. Um, this is, a, you know, getting the power to the ground is something that we are always talking about, not only that, but performance. So you've got a, you are in a very specific field that is, you know, absolutely vital to the motorsports enthusiasts. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I would say that um, a lot of people, the new racers are, are very aware of what spring can do, but uh, the shocks are typically more sexy and get a lot more attention. Um, so sometimes springs go overlooked, but I think these days, um, you know, the more technology that comes out, the more uh, rating tools and uh, whatnot, the, the springs are, are, people are realizing what a, what a vital part of the suspension they really are. So they're, you know, getting a little more attention than they used to, but um, definitely, uh, you know, a key component to the suspension as a system. So let's let's get into it. What what the difference between static and dynamic spring loads for the uninitiated like myself? Uh, you know, walk us through uh, some of these uh, you know terms and and why they matter. Sure. All right. Well, uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, as a definition, a static load is a fixed load or a force that's applied gradually. So, for example, a spring that's uh, simply holding the weight of a car. Um, that's not in motion would be considered a static load. Uh, a dynamic load is a, a changing load or a pressure or force that can be applied bearingly. Uh, so once the car is in movement, the springs undergo a dynamic load uh, as the force travels, uh, you know, through the different conditions, uh, pavement or road conditions or whatnot. Uh, so the spring um, is once it's in motion is a uh, is the what we consider a dynamic load. I guess a, a good relation would be your race car in the shop, scaling it, measuring it, that kind of thing. Uh, and then dynamic loads is what you're going to see on the racetrack, which um, obviously uh, the easy term is, is always static load, but uh, the most crucial I find, of course, is going to be your dynamic loads. Uh, that's what everybody really needs to focus on more than static, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's been... The transition over the years, I think, is, uh, you know, typically people used to take a car to a scale and that was kind of where they would, uh, you know, do all the magic, set it up and make all their measurements or whatnot, uh, and then take it out and race it. Once the car goes into a race, dirt car, the body of um, hills, right? So, uh, you know, once the car is up at attitude or uh, what the racers now call a dynamic, um, a race attitude, uh, all the scale numbers go out the door. So, um, and that's the same with the spring. Um, once the, the old theory used to be, um, you know, kind of whatever held the car up uh, to get through an inspection or whatever the case may be, a certain height 
measurement, depending on the series, um, that's kind of where they started and then uh, whatever it took to keep the car from hitting the ground or whatnot um, kind of was the second part of that equation. Where now it's completely different. Um, you know, it's what they consider a static or going through a, a inspection checkpoint height or whatnot um, is critical for obviously getting through the inspection, um, but the dynamic uh, or the car at race attitude is, is definitely the most important piece of the component now because that's where all the magic happens right uh, well exactly and so and so you mentioned you referenced the shocks or the sexy uh part of it but you know how do they coexist together like what are their specific jobs walk us through you know as experts in this field walk us uh you know through you know what each one does independently of each other and then how do they work together and uh and formulate what you know is a package that ultimately helps these cars perform sure so uh, I'll give a quote that Mr. Ibach, Wilford Ibach, um, once told me, I'll never forget it because it was a great way to uh, uh, understand how the two work together. But he basically said, the spring is the dynamic husband carrying the heavy loads of the family and bouncing all around. And the shock is the calming wife trying to control the husband's tendencies. So- um, Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a, a funny saying, but it, it's very true. So the, obviously the the spring doesn't have anything slowing it down once it uh, is compressed and, and opening back up. Um, so it's it's literally controlling uh, you know weights at certain points. We can get into more of, of that later, but the shock is obviously controlling the speed at which it does that, keep it from you know continuing to bounce on down the road. Controlling that wheel load, keeping that tire in the ground. Shock's kind of goal is to slow that process or speed that process up through its travel. So uh, spring holds the car up, spring applies that that load to the tire to the ground, shock just uh, controls that. Excellent, excellent. So uh, in, in terms of like current trends, you know, we've been speaking with people all week and um, the constant evolution of uh, all fields in motorsport is like the only thing that we can rely upon, right? That things are gonna change. What are the current trends in suspension and how has it uh, changed recently or has it? Give us a little insight into that um, as the, you know, what you guys do with research and development evolves uh, over time. Like what's, what's current, what's happening and how is it evolving? Sure, I think we can take the, the last question and kind of elaborate a little bit more and into this question, but uh, springs have main, mainly three jobs. They store and release energy, uh, they absorb shock and they maintain contact between two surfaces. Um, the streetcar spring has to support the weight of a vehicle, absorb imperfection, and keep all the tires planted on the ground. Uh, in a race car, comfort sometimes goes out the window uh, if there's a traction advantage. So sometimes the drivers don't get the advantage of the, uh, the nice spring or the shock absorption, uh, you know, if they're really making good traction or whatnot. Um, so I think that's some of the uh, where the advances have been made is, uh, you know, the ability to really uh, to see what those loads are with the with the different tools that are available out there with uh, pull down rigs and uh, spring smashers and whatnot, um, and the upgrades of, of shocks and whatnot as well. So um, that obviously affects what we're doing with springs, what we're making, how they're using them. Um, so that's kind of some of the biggest trends. We can 
Jeremy can kind of tell you some of the uh, the preloading trends or whatnot that have been going on. But um, yeah, I mean that the shocks, like I, like you said before, they coincide. They do work together. You have to have that, and that allows us to have uh, you know your preloads. So you got uh, your dirt laid models, your dirt modifieds. Um, you know, even this has translated over to NASCAR and a lot of the series there is like he, like David said, this is the preload. Um, mostly in the left rear, you're gonna see a lot of preload in that, that spring. So we're going to much taller springs, much lighter rates. So our technology is, has been in that kind of realm of building a taller, lighter spring, keeping it to where there's no side deflection, AKA bowing, um, you know, keeping the spring in line with that. Uh, so as the shocks get better with that, they can control that better. We can build a, a much more superior spring to it. Uh, translates to these teams are, are putting much more preload in the left rears and getting that left rear tire in the ground, even as a car rolls over. Um, that even in the asphalt world, that's, that's kind of a normalcy now. Um, I know a lot of road course staff, they're doing the same thing as well, both rear springs. Um, you know, that, that translates to you got so much preload in the rear, you have to manage the negative effect on the front of the car. Um, that turns into bump springs, uh, bump rubbers. Uh, there's many different ways. Some, some guys are coil binding springs in the front. So we have to make sure that our springs are capable and have, you know, the, the forward prog progression of that spring to be capable of those loads. I mean, it goes through the roof once that happens. So, I think it's a, it's in every form of racing too, Joe. Like, uh, let's take Formula One for example. I mean, completely different than the short track stuff. But look at the look at the difference in these cars now. I mean, they're you know completely jacked up when they're sitting there at static, where the rears are up, and you can see right under the rears. Um, you look back at the old days. You know, they were completely slammed on the ground. But um, you know what they're what they're doing is they're going with a longer lighter spring basically same thing jeremy was just talking about uh obviously a different form of uh of spring or whatnot but uh they start with the car really high uh to keep the um the spoiler as high as possible uh and the arrow loads squat the car down uh, until they're basically gone uh, when the arrows when the, the speeds are pushing the arrow down to where they want um, this is obviously accomplishing a couple different things. One, the, the rear of the car is uh, the, the spoiler is up at, in the air to get the, the maximum uh, amount of arrow when the car is going slow. But uh, at higher speeds when the car squats, the arrow loads are greater than the spring load, which creates a battle of forces between the, uh, the arrow and the spring. So basically, it's you know the springs wanting to unload and the arrows saying, no, we're not going to let you unload because the, the, the uh, applied force is greater. So it's allowing that spring to constantly have force against it, pushing it down, which is obviously creating grip. So in that scenario, um, you know, they're, they're using the rear basically only to push it down uh, and the front's got the huge wing or whatnot as well, but um, that's where they're creating their force. If you're uh, looking at a short track uh, car, like a dirt late model or something like Jeremy was saying, uh, the goal is almost hundred opposite cars are stacking springs in combinations to keep the car as low as possible to get through an inspection yet when they get back onto the track as soon as they hit the gas that car stands completely up getting that spoiler up in the air as much as possible 
Now they're not getting the aerial loads because the speeds aren't as high. The, the, the tracks are smaller and whatnot. So they want that spoiler up in the air uh, to get that aerial load pushing it down. So, but there again, um, with the technology of uh, having the spring smashers, they're controlling the loads at every, every given point. So they know exactly once that car gets up at attitude where they want it. Um, and this is helping, you know, find that balance on the track. So, um, you know, the balance of arrow against mechanical, uh, the old saying of what, you know, mechanical grip would be. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference is now, you know, teams are really understanding how to utilize this information. They have tools to test it. Um, and they're just getting, you know, it's trickling down the system a lot faster from the upper ranks. So, um, which again, I think leads back to what Jeremy was saying. It's, it's forced us to kind of, uh, you know, make sure our springs are going to withhold this, uh, these forces uh, at the range that they're going, the, the length of the springs, um, a lot of them have gotten longer and lighter um, and make sure that they can uh, withstand. Excellent. Um, at this point, let's, uh, let's give the point of contact for folks out there. And uh, I know, uh, you know, waiting to the end is like a, a thing, but I, I like to get it out there because people want to know where to go. They want to maybe hit the website while they're listening to you guys or uh, pop off an email uh, with a couple of different subjects in it. So why don't you give that contact information? And at the same time, you folks out there on ePart Trade watching, whether watching on YouTube or racer.com or even uh, through the Zoom call on ePart Trade, you've got, a, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've got a question for these guys, uh, put it in the chat section right now. Let's take this in a couple of different directions. What I'm impressed by is, you know, Jeremy, he's the motorsport specialist. Like, that's pretty broad. Uh, that, that is a broad segment. We're going to ask Jeremy a couple of questions. But give that contact information, David. Yeah, so uh, ibach.com. Um, great segue uh, because our, our website is actually a really, really good tool for racers. Um, <laughs> I think currently we have over 1,350 uh, motorsports parts. Majority of them are springs. Uh, but we do make some other part bits and pieces, but uh, ibach.com, uh, you can go and you can uh, pull out our whole BRS catalog. You can search by, uh, you know, a length or an ID, and it'll give you all the rates um, or a specific rate, whichever way you want to look it up. And under, uh, under that platform, you can see all of the specifics of the spring. You can see the block heights, um, you know, the max loads and uh, block or, uh, yeah, complete load numbers and all that stuff. So um, yeah, the website's a really, really good tool. Uh, ibach.com once again, uh, as well as it, uh, all of our street per performance applications, uh, UTVs and all that stuff are, are listed there. You can punch in by your make and model uh, or whatnot. So yeah, it's a great tool, ibach.com. Yeah. It also has, um, you know, YouTube links. We've got some video, we've got a good marketing team that uh, puts together these videos to show you what we do have, but also to show you how you can apply that to your specific car. Whether it's race cars, uh, you know, there's a couple of videos on there where we're showing preloads and, and travel, how you measure travels and this and that. Uh, the off-road world, um, there's actually a couple of formulas on there where you can do your double spring systems, your triple spring systems on the off-road trucks. Um, so you can go on there and see all that as well. So that's a good tool. Excellent, excellent. and. Uh... Uh, to that point, Jeremy, as the uh, motorsports specialist, right? Like you have to be very uh, versatile because there are a lot. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, off-road trucks and we're talking Formula One in the same uh, two minutes. 
And one thing, you know, what's uh, common between them? Well, they've got wheels and tires and they got springs. Uh, <laughs> to, to be uh, to be able to kind of walk in both of those worlds. We got a question right now from someone that says, what are the trends in front wheel drive road racing? So uh, just kind of talk about some of the varying things you see out there in the motorsports world. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very true. It's uh, Formula One, uh, I always say, you know, in comparison to go-karts. Um, they're equally as important to us. And so I never say down to, you know, um, but there's, uh, there's some oval cart stuff that's applying some springs now, uh, quarter midgets. Uh, they're huge on springs. They're usually springs all the way around. And then, yeah, you have to understand enough in the off-road world, uh, the road racing world, drag racing is a huge thing. Um, you know, that's kind of become a, a very popular one over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, everybody here uh, generally has a good terminology with race cars and most everybody is involved and we're kind of spread around. We've got a bunch of guys in the, the road race world. We've got some drag racers here. Uh, David and I, we've always done oval track stuff. Um, I've, I've personally worked on a couple of IMSA teams. Uh, prototype cars and everything else. So uh, between all of us, I think that's what helps is having such a, a broad spectrum of real racers here, right? We all know what we want. We understand what our particular race format is going to need for a spring. Um, I mean, there's a lot of technology and, and terminology that goes into building the spring, but then you have to also know how it's applied to everything from an off-road truck a buggy uh utvs is a huge market for us right now so that's kind of everybody's on board with that one right now just keeping ahead of the game um anything with road racing um in fact uh this morning a couple of our guys are on an email chain with uh you know making sure that we're staying on top of the uh, homologation uh with a lot of the series making sure that uh, we're not uh, slacking on keeping that in stock for those guys. They're stuck on making or using those particular springs. We gotta be ahead of that game. Uh, at the same time, I get an email right afterwards and say, hey, you know, we're building for King of the Hammers. Uh, I know you had Dave Cole on uh, earlier in the week. Um, you know, King of the Hammers is right around the corner. So we're, we're dealing with road race. The next minute we're bouncing over to let's build an ultra four car. And uh, the, the technology in that world has gone through the roof in the last couple of years. Uh, we go down and we, we have a couple of buddies with, uh, with box shocks. Uh, I personally go down there for a week or two uh, for King and Hammers and um, we actually go out and we test, we watch the trucks, we, we do everything we can and measure it all out. And um, so the technology there, I personally think has been kind of on the back front, but now is on the forefront. Uh, so seeing some of these trucks getting built is pretty cool. I think Jeremy's being a little bit modest there too. I mean, he's got a really big background in uh, racing and understands it. I think that's the biggest key. Um, I mean, like you said, we all have a different uh, specialty in racing that seems like everybody here has got something they're involved with. But uh, yeah, you have to understand the cars as well. And Jeremy's got a good understanding. He, he can go out and... Uh, he knows personally, you know, some IMCA uh, modified teams that he'll go out and work with. Um, like you said, the off-road teams um, worked on IMSA. So 
you know, just being having a background and understanding the cars uh, helps you understand what the teams need. So sometimes uh, they don't, you know, if things are changing or whatnot, they don't even know exactly what they need. So, or what we're capable of, or what um, you know, what the next thing is. So, it takes an understanding of uh, knowing cars um, and uh, the rule packages. I mean, that's another thing. Um, it's one thing to understand the cars, but the, the to know the rule packages and stuff too. So. Um, yeah, Jeremy does a really good job at that, uh, but the whole team does. And uh, for that matter, we work globally. We have we manufacture in uh, Germany and also in China. So we have a, a global mo motorsports uh, division that we work together with. So um, I mean, we're we're literally dealing with you know Formula One, Nuremberg Ring uh, cars uh, over in China. Um, so, CC or what you know yeah, what not so um, many series there and too. then uh, you know yeah. of course America we race everything there is including yeah. lawnmowers over here so <laughs> no yeah it's, a, it's definitely a, a wide variety of stuff that we're we're dealing with. All right, we got a couple of questions, guys, and uh, everybody out there, load them up with uh, questions out there in the chat section. <laughs> uh, general trends for front wheel drive road racing. Um, talk about a specific, a specific uh, market, right? But but it's happening out there and you, you drive them differently, the whole deal. Um, talk a little bit about that for Raymond. You wanna to touch on that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would just say it's the same thing. I mean, freeloading is kind of the, um, <clears throat> the name of the game wherever you go. So um, I think I don't have a lot of specific uh, background in, in front wheel driving. You know, a lot of these guys uh, do here. Um, yeah. I know we have played around with some preloading and some bump springs and whatnot. Um, I would definitely think that's, uh, depending on your rule package and what you can do, um, you know, give us a call. We definitely have some guys that probably can give you a little better info, um, than we can, but, um, definitely, uh, you know, trying to store that energy with, uh, with the, the preloading and then having a fall to a rate that's gonna, to give you the grip that you want. So. Um, it's yeah. kind of the name of the game in any any motorsports right now. Yeah, I mean, to add on to the front-wheel drive stuff, from what I've been seeing, kind of been in touch with, is uh, making sure you have a long enough spring with enough preload in the rear. Uh, you kind of want to keep everything. I mean, your steering forces and, and your drive forces are on that front, that front end, so you want to keep as much load planted there. Um, yeah, you don't want the back to... to lose grip either but uh that's your biggest focus keeping everything on the front the front tires and able to point uh when you're on throttle so um there's there's quite a bit of information i think it's uh kind of specific to the type of vehicle you have uh aero packages um by all means give us a call direct uh we'll we'll sit here with you until you um we're both comfortable with what your vehicle is and make sure you're going fast yeah, and again, our, our phone numbers are on, uh, if you go to ibach.com, all of our phone numbers are on there, so feel free to give us a call. Exactly. Only nice calls, guys. Only nice calls. Garrett wants to <laughs> yeah. how, how often do you replace springs versus shocks? And I think it's a great question. Like, how long do springs last? Well, that is a great question. It's um, a loaded one. Yeah. One, <laughs> Isn't everything <laughs> loaded with springs, <laughs> though? <laughs> we get this one so, all day, every day, so yeah, we should be do. really good at answering it, but it's, it's actually yeah. a little bit difficult. There's no solid answer to that, to be honest. But uh, we've had national champions, you know, circle track road race, it doesn't matter. They're, they're on, in fact, the IMCA modified driver that just won Bristol Dirt Nationals uh, this year. 
I was making fun of him. I was there myself, made fun of him because he literally has 11, 12-year-old springs in his car. He literally won that race with old springs. And so that gives a testimony to how long the springs actually do last. They do last. Can last. They can last, yes. Now, for peace of mind, uh, as inexpensive as a spring can cost when you're looking at the broad picture of how much a race team costs, my personal opinion, I think David goes right along with this. I would say, yes, some series you can get 60 to 80 races a year. I say about that time, I would just go ahead and do it anyway. They're probably not bad. There's probably nothing changed in it, but for the peace of mind and for as inexpensive as it can be, why would you risk it? Um, goes along too, though. We always say, once you get a spring, get a good base for your notes. When you get a new spring from us, throw it on your spring smasher, spring raider, whatever you have, and get an exact rate, uh, travel numbers, everything you get for that particular spring. Every spring is a little different, just a touch different. Uh, and then just follow through with that throughout the year. Go 20 races in, 15, whatever, however particular you are, um, pull a spring out, you're maintaining it anyway, whether it's a part around it or the spring itself. Uh, the perch is whatever, throw it on the spring raider. Just make sure there's no changes. If there is any change, mm, do your discretion. But if it was me, I'd, I'd start looking at a new spring. Got to it. Add to hey. that. Hey, yes. Andrew, uh, to add to that, I think part of uh, what we didn't explain is what could cause some physical damage uh, is spring wires extremely corrosive inside. So, um, we go through a couple processes to make sure uh, that the coating is really adhered very well, um, starting with a mineral bath that really adheres to the uh, raw metals and then, uh, then our physical powder coating, um, which is a really good quality coating. And we do everything in-house here to ensure that everything's, uh, the quality is up to speed. But once that coating is starting to chip, um, and it can be caused by a lot of times, obviously, in the dirt, getting rocks and debris um, or whatnot, um, but it can also happen in coil clashing, too. If, you know, coils really being pushed quick or whatnot, and the first couple coils are really banging off each other or the, or the spring is sitting there, um, you know, this is a flat wire tender, but if the spring is completely compressed, if they're coil, a coil bind set up like we talked about these days, it could start wearing. So what, once the coating starts wearing down to the raw metal, um, you know, the, the actual spring wire is very corrosive. So that's where the rust veins can start to create. So chips are very uh, known for that, especially in the off-road world. Um, yeah, you know, from a modified to, a, you know, trucks and whatnot getting hit at high speed. So once that starts to happen and you start washing your vehicle, that's where the rust veins can start. You can't really see them from the outside. <clears throat> You'll see minor rust to start, but the chips are fairly small, but that vein can start going through the spring. Um, it's amazing once you get the spring back after, you know, it's it's broken or whatnot, we look at it and that rust has kind of gone, you know, all the way through the outside of the circle or whatnot around the coating um, or, you know, it's diagonally similar. across. And that's where the, uh, that's where the weak points start happening. So like Jeremy said, it'll start to give you a little bit of notice if the spring is starting to lose height. Uh, um, that's a pretty good indication. But um, watching it, um, you know, keep 
or a, a water repellent. Uh, obviously, keep the rust off a spring bag or something to protect the while they're being ra raced. Is I agree. A lot of people don't. And guys, I just want to tell you that. Uh, for, yeah, for, I was referenced to it. I mean, the last that, 10 minutes, I don't know if you guys can hear me, but your your video is pausing. Like, it's just like stopping and starting a little bit. So I don't know if that changed on your end, but uh, it was very stable. And now it's just glitching a little bit. Let's see if we got it uh, back working. Go ahead. Starting to get a little bit from. Yeah, you're frozen. Um, it's bizarre because uh, it was working so well, and now you're a little frozen. I don't know about now. Let's just try to let's try to uh, fight through it a little bit. Um, like I Nick, can... you know, does raising the spring seat increase spring rate? So let's try to get to that. As you guys are again, it's just you're pausing and like starting and stopping, like something's cutting in and out. But we see you the whole time. We just do not hear you. So let's try to get it. Uh, try to get going again, and hopefully it'll clear up. We're gonna have to get some uh, some flashcards. Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> Can you hear us now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, just if you didn't hear the end of that, um, yeah. That the this once this once the rust veins start um, and you start seeing some loss of height or uh, rate change or whatnot, that's a pretty good sign to get rid of them if you if you didn't hear the end of that. So, um, but protecting them with spring bags or any way you can, uh, and then when you're washing them with some oil or whatnot, definitely is a good way to to ensure the longevity of a spring. Um, but once you start seeing some uh, actual physical uh, height loss or whatnot, it's probably a good time to move on and get a new set. <clears throat> Copy that. Okay, Nick, does raising the spring seat increase spring weight? No. Well, it depends on the situation. Now, if I'm you... guessing that they're probably talking about the spring table. Um, if that's the case, it does numerous other things. Uh, the spring is going to be what it is. Uh, so that doesn't change now what you're doing with um, how the vehicle feels the load. That's a big thing. Yes, that is very important. It does not change what the spring is providing for load or uh, your rate to get to that load, uh, but it does change how that car feels that load. Yeah. Well, it, depend it, it does depend on the situation as well. If you're talking about a fixed to purchase where those where the springs mm -hmm. taking up the the whole distance if you're adding something in there of course you're going to have to squeeze that spring more that's, to get it in there that's, um, that's yep yeah that's that's more of a kind of a strut type situation on a street performance car or truck uh we're talking racing typically we have a little bit of the spring doesn't completely fill um the distance between where the two purchase sit so it depends on what uh, application they're talking about, but uh, yeah, as yeah, Jeremy was talking about in a racing uh, application where the the, perch, the springs aren't completely touching the purchase when they're extended, um, no, it, it would not. Yeah, I mean, it all translates to, um, you know, example, a 100 rate pounds per inch, right? So if you're compressing that spring past the one inch, it, the, the load's greater. So yes, if you're compressing that spring, it's definitely the, the rate doesn't change, but your load does. That's gonna be a hundred pounds per inch all the way through travel until you start touching coils together. But uh, the load does change if you're compressing the spring, yes. 
Got it. Got it. What what are what are some of the myths out there about springs that people talk about? Uh, you know, things that you guys hear that you're like, ooh, that's that's not how it is. So I know in every uh, field of motorsports, there's something like that where people kind of come with a wives' tale, preconceived notion, something that's just a myth and incorrect. Yeah, I'm sure we've all heard plenty of them. I mean, um, you know, springs rebounding faster than the compression or something silly like that. Um, that's definitely uh, not accurate. Um, springs, that, that would be called uh, hysteresis. Springs um, typically are going to push back at the same speed that they're going to close with. Um, it's just simple physics, right? Whatever force you push upon it, it's going to push back with the same force. Um, whereas like a bump uh, stop, not a bump spring, but like a rubber bump stop um, will actually rebound quicker than it pushes. Um, which some people use in their setups. Um, but I think uh, some of the stuff that we were talking about, I think all comes from the way springs are built. Um, and they're definitely not all created equal. Uh, you know, once you get a spring next to each other and you have, you know, the red one, the blue one, the black one, the yellow one, um, they all look very similar, right? Because they're, they're spring to spring, right? Yeah, they're quite, not true. they're yeah. somewhat wound the same or whatnot, but, um, that couldn't be farther from the truth. So uh, what's under the spring definitely uh, is completely different. So I think what, um, you know, what separates Eibach from some of the other companies is um, it does start with the, with the wire that we use. Um, we operate, obviously, like I said, on a global level. So we manufacture in Germany, uh, China, and, and here, obviously, in the United States. <clears throat> so we have the ability to buy bias grade um, wire possible um, at a global level. So um, this kind of helps separate. We don't accept anything less than, than, uh, than the grades that, that we recommend. So, um, you know, or some of the lower manufacturers possibly or whatnot. So um, that's probably the biggest thing that separates us um, from from some of the other brands but also what goes into that is uh, all of our spring wire comes pre-hardened so we do not hot wind any of our springs everything that we do here in the racing world is cold wound which some people might be asking what's the difference but um, a hot wound spring is where you actually heat it up coil it around a mandrel or whatever the case may be um, but that creates another step in the process that's hard to control so as you heat and as you cool metal obviously things can change um, we allow or rely on um, the professional spring makers to control the processes, like I said, of getting us the wire that we need up to the specifications that we request. Uh, and then we have um, some of the best CNC machines uh, in the world that allow us to coil this stuff um, without being hot wound. So not only are our springs not coiled, they're wound. Um, and they're wound, our machines have a third axis on them. So it allows us to not only just coil in a two-dimensional way, but we actually have an arm that kicks that allows us, as we're turning, to push a third axis as well. So it allows us to turn and uh, make some angles that are, are different than just what you could do on a mandrel. So uh, when you sit back and you look at a spring, you would never see that, um, except for some of the, um, <clears throat> the shapes of some of the springs that we have do definitely um, show that off. Like some of the NASCAR springs that we used to do uh, definitely have some unique shape and they were 
going for a really uh, unique character, rate characteristic. So they were actually digressive because uh, the old rule packages of the, like the cup series, again, um, they were trying to get through inspection with the cars up. But as soon as they got on the track, a little arrow load, they wanted them just to fall and, you know, onto the track and stay there. Um, and that's where the, the spring and shock package again would work together. <clears throat> the shocks were valved enough to kind of hold the cars there as long as possible. But when they came back through tech, they would slowly come back up, you know, and they'd get through the line as slow as possible <laughs> until when they got through the inspection line, they were back up in height. So it's all a game, you know. Um, we race, we would never do that. Yeah, never. We, no, we, <laughs> never. We, uh, we work with the teams just as much as uh, they work with us to make give them the uh, product that they want. But um, those are some of the differences. Um, you know, and the other thing is we go through all the processes um, that it takes, which everybody might not know the processes. And I actually have a video here we can uh, show you in a second. But uh, shop painting, tempering, and, and presetting are all. Um, steps that we go through with every single race spring um you know some of the, some of the manufacturers if you see a, a lower price point might be skipping some of those steps because they're not absolutely necessary for what uh you know you may see on the table yeah. but when you get that spring into a performance situation uh when they're actually you know in a rating uh pull down rig or you know on track in a longevity uh situation that's where it starts to show up so um, yeah the Biggest thing I can note to that as well is that uh, the pre presetting on that. I mean, that's a huge step for us. Uh, obviously, shop painting is relieving stress. Um, you know, you don't want you know too much stress in a spring. Every one of our springs, uh, every part number has got its own design sheet to it. But uh, as we build it, but the presetting, if you order a 16 inch spring, a 10 inch spring, whatever it might be, it's going to be 10 inches or 16 inches when you get it out of the box, uh, and 99% of the time, it's not going to lose that because we've already stressed that spring and gave it its memory to where it's going to be that length when you order it. Um, that's the biggest thing. When, when a racer puts a spring in his car, uh, the biggest notable things to check if something's changed on the car, it's not driving the same, uh, they keep making changes, but it's not actually changing the way the car is driving is another one. Uh, if you think it's spring related, pull the spring out, check the free height on it, check to see if anything's bent, um, if there's any side load or AKA bowing, anything like that. Uh, so our processes pretty much eliminate all of those risks um, when you order that new spring. Still can happen, you get a wreck, uh, you, you know, coil clash it, that's a big thing. Um, you can lose a little free height from that. Uh, but yeah, all of our processes here, we do everything in-house. Um, you know, we have people here that understand it. They've been here for a long, long time, uh, years and years, and they understand that that spring is supposed to do that. Yeah, they get their, their tools out and they measure them, but a lot of these guys can see it with their eyes. They can feel it in their, in their hands. They pull it off that winding machine and say, oh, this is a little different than it what it should be. Um, let's go into for the detail on this or yeah, this one's good. And I know it is. And then it backs up with the, with the tooling. Um, so yeah, I'm the videos, uh, David's got up right here. Um, see if we can get that shared. I'm well, sure it'll show all that. One more thing. I think one more myth before we get into the, uh, just, it's a quick video of how uh, a spring's made to see for people who aren't aware. Uh, but I think one more myth I think that would be touched on is, uh, the spring feels flat. I think, you know, that's a common that's one. Good. 
Um, and that one's tough to, uh, to quantify because like I said before, there isn't, when you're talking uh, a in a dynamic sense of a spring, um, when that spring is a movement, there's, there's not really a good way to quantify or measure that. There's um, no way, yeah. So, what, so you have, times. what you have to do is you kind of have to take in a bunch of uh, different factors and average it out. So, I mean, there are ways to kind of sense that, but there is no way to just put it, you know, in a machine and say, yeah, the spring is flat. So, again, I think it goes back to, um, you know, pulling that spring out, checking the measurements, uh, put it on the radar, and not just at one inch, but, you know, two inch, three inch, four inch to see uh, if the rate continues um, consistently down the line um, and, the, and the back that up with the original uh, documentation that you took when you got that spring just to see if it matches. Um, once, start, once it starts changing, if there is a rust vein or something similar, um, or even the case, you know, this is metal. It's, this is the only type of metal on your car that's consistently, you know, moving. Everything else is tied down uh, and strapped tightly. Um, a spring is definitely a unique piece of the car where it's, it's, uh, it's metal, but it's made to uh, continuously, you know, move. Um, you know, it's got, a, it's got its own life. It is alive. So uh, if something does start feeling differently, the only thing I would say and, and what we recommend is, you know, it's, it's cheap enough insurance, depending on what you're doing with this. Um, if you're racing professionally or even at a high level, we just recommend replacing it. It's, it's cheap enough. Um, we got guys that, you know, think that these things, they can feel a difference at 33 races. You know, I don't know why 33 races, but um, seriously, I mean, we have guys that, that change out at a number like that. And um, if they go 34, they can tell a difference. So obviously racers uh, have their own um, different beliefs and feels. Yeah, so exactly. You can, you can make them happy and uh, they're going to drive harder or faster by changing it then by all means you know we're not going to talk you out of it so that's yeah and I, not to say that it's not the spring's fault by any means but when you take say a front spring out of a, a standard a-arm control arm car i mean you're you're either going to be pulling a, a ball joint down you're moving perches you're moving this and that i mean my personal experience, if you're going to do all that, you're cleaning the perches, you're relubing them, however the perches are working. So all of that coincides with that spring change that you think, oh, it's the spring that went flat. But in reality, maybe your perch was bound up or you had rocks in the control arm pinning the spring or whatever it could Shock be. seizing up or what? Yeah, yeah I mean, ball joint could be frozen at that point. Just had to clean it up a little bit and it rotates good now. Uh, so there's when you do change that spring out look at everything else that's around it uh, you, sh you should be good at point good to go after that point let's check out the video guys all right let's check it out here and see if i can get this to work And for folks out there, if you got a question, put it in the chat section. We'll get to it as we uh, wind up this session with folks at iBot. You have to do another screen. Yeah, there you go.
There we go. That's showing. I see your files. That's showing, Joe. Uh, we see your file uh, structure. I would just click on one of the files. But we're definitely seeing your uh, your computer. Playing and then on the right side, hit the expand. You were screen yeah. sharing. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's uh, fine. Can you you can't see the video right now? I can see the video. No, we see your computer files. I dash F and the two uh, and the one above it. So you're sharing, just not the video. That's sharing.